So I'd like you to turn to uh, what is known as a very <clears throat> obscure text in the New Testament. It's this, this one-page letter, this general epistle, as it is called, uh, because it was a letter not to one particular church, but to all the churches in the ancient world. Um, I'd like you to turn to this particular letter. It's the letter uh, called Jude. And if you find it, it's just one page. It's between 3 John and Revelation. So if you get to the last book in the New Testament, you've gone too far, come one back, and there you is. So if you'd stand, please. We're going to read verses 20 and 21. And every year I try to share a little vision for our community. And I've been asking God for the last, um, you know, month or two, what do you want me to share uh, in 2017, which will be, well, God willing, by next January, we'll have a new senior pastor who'll be sharing their vision for the community, and I will be uh, serving alongside that human being with our other pastors and other leaders. So this will be one of my last vision sermons for this community. And so I thought, Lord, what, what, do, you, what do you want me to say? And this is what kept coming back uh, to my gut. So it's the letter called Jude, and it's verses 20 and 21. And this is what these verses say in the New King James. But you, beloved, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, Praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Let me read those verses again. But you, beloved ones, beloved sons and daughters of God, Beloved, 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 building yourselves up, not in, but on the foundation of your most holy faith, praying in the power of the Holy Spirit, under the direction of the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves within the reach of the love of God while you're looking for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. You may be seated. Sort of like that. Let me share, first of all, some words of context before we look at the meaning of Especially this phrase, keep yourselves in the love of God. First of all, probably this short letter was written by Jesus' half-brother, Jude. You notice in the opening verse of this uh, letter, he talks about being the brother of James. And probably out of humility, he doesn't call himself the brother of Jesus. He calls himself a servant of Jesus. But we know that James, uh, in the Gospels, is listed as one of the brothers of Jesus, along with Jude. So probably this is the Jude. There's more than one Jude in the New Testament. Probably this is the Jude who grew up with and hung out with and listened to the words of Jesus of Nazareth himself. Probably even had a few arguments as a kid with Jesus. How do you win an argument with the Son of God? Um, I, I don't know. That just occurred to me. That wasn't in my notes. But anyway... Second piece of context to these uh, couple of uh, powerful verses. This letter was written to believers about staying strong for the gospel in the midst of a lot of hostility. If you go back to verse 3 of this short letter, again, you get this piece of context. He again says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, our common deliverance, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to, now get this, Contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints because 
Certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, this pain or this attack on the good news of Jesus was at this point not just outside but inside. You know, sometimes we tend to think that uh, our faith was monolithic from the beginning, and it didn't really get split until the Reformation. That's just not true. It was starting to divide from the get-go. The enemy has been active since Jesus rose from the grave in Christianity. Since Acts 2, he's been active. And so already um, there, there was division within the body of Christ about what we were supposed to believe, how we were supposed to follow Jesus. Um, and and you, you know, you've seen enough war movies or uh, read enough um, um, war stories to know that it's one thing to, to see the enemy out there. It's another thing to say, is the enemy in here? And so this letter is written to encourage believers to contend for the faith, the true faith of Jesus, the true good news of his love and mercy through the cross and the empty tomb with, with literally folk, strong, powerful leaders inside the communities of faith that had already gone astray. They'd already started uh, to wander. Thirdly, these two verses form part of the final instructions that Jude is giving to these believers about staying strong uh, for the gospel. They form two or three of, or four of the final instructions about how to stay strong and on point for the gospel. As you know, uh, folks' last words are usually their most important words. I think I've shared this before in this community. And, and I should have asked Josh before, because I think he's a librarian or he works in a library. I don't think there are many, uh, there are many quote books on the shelves about uh, words spoken in the middle of folks' lives. But there are many quote books about the last words of famous people, because at the end of their life, they're like crystallizing all that has been, uh, that, they've, that they've learned, and they're trying to leave behind possibly some kind of legacy um, for, for those that are, that are, that are um, staying behind. To this day, when even my grown kids, when my kids were home uh, with, two of them have uh, uh, husbands, and so they were there with their sons-in-law, we usually have a time, if we can, between playing games and just messing around, uh, grandkids all over the place and whatnot, we usually have a time where we sit down and say, what's going on in your life? And, uh, and we share, what, what can we be praying for? And we try to be as honest and authentic as we can. And usually at the end of that time, without being preachy, at least I try not to be preachy, I usually, because I'm, I'm, I'm the old man of the family, I'm kind of the patriarch of, the, of this particular family, and I try to say um, at the end of our time here and as we get ready to go home, uh, can I just crystallize what I've heard and can I give a couple of thoughts about what I want you to hang on to? In other words, whatever else has been said, I have some, some last words, some final words that if you, if you don't remember anything else about what we've shared, try to hear God saying these things as you go back to Chicago and Denver and Philadelphia and, and try to contend for the faith where you are in the name of Jesus Christ. So the last words, the final instructions are usually the most important. It's one of the reasons, for example, why John 13 through 17 has become so important to the church because it's called the Upper Room Discourse. It's Jesus' final sermon, if you will, to his apostles before he died the very next day. These were his last words. So these are the last words of Jude. These instructions about how to stay strong in the midst of mess in the early church, these are the final words, probably the most important words. And then, uh, fourthly, in terms of context, these final instructions, and I hope you don't get lost here. I hope this is helpful to some of us who who really like to dig into uh, the text. These final instructions about how to stay strong and on point for the gospel include three participles and only one imperative. Now, you, you might just say, don't talk Greek. No, those are English words. Those are English words. And for those of you who remember seventh and eighth grade English, you learned these words. You might have hated it, and you might not remember them today, but you... You learned them at one point. Uh, these are uh, the parts of speech in English as well as most other languages. So what is a participle? A participle is a verb form that's usually translated with I-N-G. How many of you remember that from your 
Not many, but well done, those of you who do. Um, so here, and the New King James is, uh, translates quite nicely here, the NIV, and you know I'm not a big NIV fan, they, they obliterate this distinction here, and it's a shame because I think it takes away a core piece of meaning that we'll get to in a second. The ESV does a very nice job here. The NLT that is in your pews, they don't use the ING, but as I'll share in a moment, they get the force of what's going on here. Um, the three participles are building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, and looking for the mercy, probably uh, looking for the re- mercy that comes in the return of Jesus, keeping your eyes on him coming back and extending mercy to us at the end of time. So the three participles are building, praying, and looking. Now, the participle can be used in Greek for command. And so you could have four participles, and they could be four commands. It could have been uh, building, praying, looking, and keeping. But it's interesting that Jude, when he writes the letter, seemingly on purpose, sticks into the middle of this list of instructions, final instructions, um, an imperative. Now, the imperative is the chosen Greek mood of command. And so if you want to be just most on point with saying, I want you to do something, I'm commanding you to do something, you would use, in the Greek language, the imperative mood. Again, participles can be used for command, but on balance, most of the time, uh, the imperative is used. So interestingly here, it would make sense that Jude might have just had four participles, but instead he's got three participles. In the middle of those three participles, he has an imperative, which is translated keep. And so it's the job of the inter- keep yourselves in the love of God. So it's the job of the interpreter to figure out Why did the author change this clear stylistic flow? Is he trying to say something, or did he just get bored after two participles, use an imperative, and then decide to come back with a participle at the end? Or is there something more profound going on? I think there's something quite profound going on, and this is the fifth piece of context before we look at meaning. Here, I believe the imperative phrase, keep yourselves in the love of God, is the central command of these four instructions. And the participles likely indicate three main ways we can do just that. So the final instructions that Jude is giving the early church and this church about how to contend for the faith, how to be strong, and to hang on to the good news of Jesus Christ in the midst of mess outside and within, is to keep ourselves in the love of God. How? By building ourselves up on our holy faith, by praying in the Holy Spirit, and by keeping our eyes on the return of Jesus Christ where he will have mercy for the world. So, are you with me so far? Did the participle thing jack you up or are you cool? Are you all right? Okay. I hope, thank you, it wasn't intended to be an English lesson, but thank you very much. Um, I hope, before I move on to this last piece, I hope in some ways you're saying, man, the scripture is much more precise than I've often thought. It absolutely is. Every word, every uh, verb type, every noun, every phrase means something. And if the Holy Spirit really did inspire these words, you don't want to just glibly cross over and read through. You want to pause and reflect. It's why the Psalms, Psalm 19 tells us to meditate, chew on. Don't just read. I'm down if you're thinking in 2017, you're going to read the Bible through in a year. Cool. Do it. It's better to do that, I guess, than to read something else through in a year. But I just, it's like, are we, look, are we trying to We're in a contest? I mean, we're trying to race... What? Pause. Do what the cows do with the the grass, you know? When you drive by and they're they're chewing on that that nourishment. You don't like this illustration? I I think it's a pretty good one. They're coming back by. The farm girl, April, says, I like that illustration. I'm connecting with that. 
You drive back by, that cow you think has gotten a new bite of grass? No, he does not. He's still chewing on the same grass he had an hour ago when you were going on the way to town. He's still got that same, right, Ethan? Got that same mouthful of grass. When you pause, God unearths truth that we tend to just drive by. So, meaning and application of this command and these attendant participles, first of all, I want you to hear this morning that this command is not, this is what it doesn't mean, keep yourselves in the love of God, does not mean that we're being called to keep God loving us. You, you could easily say, yeah, it's what I've always believed, just like it was when I was a kid, had to keep, you know, doing the dance so that my parents would approve and that my parents would love. That's exactly not what he is saying. In fact, notice already three times, verse 3, verse 17, verse 20, what has Jude called the believers? He's called them beloved. There's no question in Jude's mind that eternally and unconditionally, God loves these sons and daughters and there's nothing that they can do to change that reality. Nothing. Nothing. If we read into these words, well, I got to I got to keep God loving me, then we're reading our dysfunction from our childhood or from living on this planet where it seems like we have to perform to get anybody to notice, let alone receive. That's absolutely not the message of the word of God. The message of the word of God from beginning to end is we are loved and there's nothing we can do to change it so god here is not a dysfunctional parent uh, we're not in some kind of a jar where that dysfunctional parent keeps flipping that jar for us to perform like some kind of praying mantis you know do a little thing so that so that he can be entertained and give us some affection god already jude says clearly loves us we are loved you are loved. He loves you. When you don't love yourself, he loves you. When your spouse doesn't seem to be loving you, he loves you. When you continue to be haunted by memories of your past where you were not loved, he loves you. When it seems that no one sees you, he sees you and he loves you. You are and I am his beloved. So this can't mean get God to keep on loving us. It has to mean something else. And the grammar doesn't indicate that as well. So secondly, this is what the command does mean. It means to keep ourselves in a position to be touched and impacted and protected by his love that is always already there for us. I don't think there's any better picture of what this looks like than the prodigal son story when Jesus taught two big sections of Israeli culture, the scribes and the Pharisees and the tax collectors and the sinners, which basically represented, you know, the haves and the have-nots, those who were in and those who were out. And he put his arm around all of them and said, you've got one father, let me tell you how he is. And one of the things you know about that story, you've heard us teach it here enough. Many of you have read uh, Henry Nowen's Return of the Prodigal Son. And heck, the image of the prodigal is, is used in culture, in secular culture, because that's such a powerful image. If somebody's trying to communicate love, they often talk, use words like prodigal and, and the image of the father running down the lane to embrace that son who had been in the far country. Um, the father's love is constant in this story. From the beginning, when, 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 the one rebellious, when the younger rebellious son says, I want you to die, give me your money, which is what it really meant. Give me your money and I want you to die so I can have your money. Die quick so I can have your money. The father was so gracious and so patient. He loved him there to the very end when the son comes home tattered and he runs to meet him. And, and instead of calling him to do some kind of penance. He just starts to shower him with kisses and compassion and love to the middle when you know he never left the picture window 
after the son left because he saw the son. The son didn't have to get all the way home. He was watching for the son out of love before the son even made it home. And he ran out to meet him. So at the beginning and at the end and in the middle, the father just loves the sons. It's constant. It's, it's deep. It, it's, it's never ending. And so yet, yet, the son, the younger son, by going into the far country, the father still loved him. But by wandering into the far country, he took himself outside his ability to feel, to sense, to receive, to be touched, to be impacted by the Father's love. The far country in this sense representing, you know, any of the basic things that life offers us that we make some kind of a God. It could be sex, drugs, and rock and roll, or it could be something as Wonderful is, you know, I want my kids to be everything for me. I want my spouse to be everything for me. I want my job to be everything for me. That is the far country because none of those entities, even those wonderful human beings, can give us the love that is constant and that saturates us and grounds us and fills us and enables us to walk strongly contending for the faith in the midst of drama and mess all the way home. So they become the far country. They're good, but they can't be him. And when we make them him, they become the far country. And of course, then you have the older brother. The father, what does he say to the older brother? The older brother, his far country doesn't take him very far away from the father in terms of proximity, but way far away in his heart. He's just outside the door of the party. And so what, is, what does the father do? Just like with the younger son, his love carries him outside the party to the older brother. He kneels down and he says, all that I've had for you has been right here, but you haven't been keeping yourself close to my love. You've been so saturated by the shoulds and the the performances you think that I need and the law. He represented the scribes and the Pharisees. You've represented the the commands and the, the list. And he said... You might as well be out with your brother in the far country because by being over here saturated in that law, trying to look for, trying to look for something that's going to fill you up in that law, you're not keeping yourself close to my love where my love can touch you. He said, all that I've ever had has been yours. Come into the party. Come close to me and you will begin to experience my love that will help you stay strong so that you can contend with the faith in the midst of a whole lot of drama. Does that make sense? So this is what I think. This is why I think it's important that we know that Jude was the brother of Jesus. I think Jude had heard Jesus say this very thing. In fact, think in your mind. If you want to turn to it, you can, but we're going to have it on the screen. Think to some of Jesus' last words to his disciples, the 11 that were remaining in John 15. This is what he says. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Now, that particular Greek word, meno, the word abide is a great translation of that word. But let me, let me just give you some parallel translations that might flesh it out. Uh, it means to dwell in. It means to stay close to. It means to make your life in. It means take a bath in. It means to surround yourselves with. It means to set your tent up in. It means to literally live your life surrounded by that love. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Last words, most important command. As the Father loved me, I've loved you. Abide in my love. Jesus, last words, most important command. In terms of what this might feel like, this morning I was seeing, again, all the kids, which I just love seeing when I come in. One of the signs of of an alive community is you've got children. And so if that's a sign of a live community. We're, we're pretty alive here. We not only have them, we continue to make them. 
And uh, it's just, it just amazing. But have you ever been to the mall? And some of you have been this mother or dad at the mall. And you, you can tell this parent loves their child. But unless they have one of those um, straps with that big, long bungee cord thing, which I always thought was a little bit weird to me. I can, can you imagine your kid at 35 going, I don't have many memories, but I think they used to tie me up in the mall. <laughs> I was like a sheep or something. You know, I, I just, it just doesn't. And if some of you use that, I'm not judging you because you only know your child. I'm just saying it just didn't seem quite right to me. But um, you, you see these uh, young moms and young dads with these little toddlers, especially two, three, four, and especially if they have more than one, but sometimes even if they have only one, they're trying to do something loving. Maybe it's put their coat on so they don't freeze to death. Maybe it's to get them to go into a toy store where they can buy them something to bless them. Whatever. Maybe it's to give them some crackers for their lunch because they're screaming and the mom knows that they're hungry. But they're out here. And they're running, they're just, they're like a pinball in a pinball machine. They're just bouncing off of everything. And I've watched parents go, sweetie, sweetie, after they've run around and they're going, <laughs> because they're not in shape, because they've been, you know, having and parenting kids. And so they don't have time to work out. And so they're out of, so they're like, would you please come close to me so I can help you? so I can love you. Will you please keep yourselves in my love? Will you please abide in my love? To stay strong on the spiritual journey in 2017 with all the drama that we see in our world, in our world, not just our world, but our world. We must first keep ourselves in his love. Listen, my brothers and sisters, this is not number two. This is not number five. This is not, hey, I hope you get to it. This is not, oh, yeah, also, remember, he loves you. This is uh, the call around which everything else revolves. And without which, nothing else for the kingdom can powerfully and consistently happen. Nothing. Why else? In Deuteronomy 6, again, I think I've shared it with us to the point that I wonder if we're getting bored. I don't know. But when it's, it's the great Shema, it's... The Hebrew word Shema, here, the imperative here, hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. It's, it's the call of God's ancient people um, to the very core of what is the essence of God's relationship with them that they were to teach to their children. Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. There's truth number one. Number two, teach them to love the Lord their God with all their heart and soul and mind. Yeah, there's commandments, but teach them that it's about my love. Teach it to them when you ride out and when you ride in, when you rise up and when you lie down. Write it on your forehead. Write it on your forehead, on your forearm. What, what is it we're supposed to saturate our children with? I'll tell you what it is, to use Jude's language. Son, daughter, Andrea, Leanne, Caroline. John, Dusty, Mac, Ada, keep yourselves in the love of God. Because if you will keep yourself within the reach, he loves you. You don't ever have to doubt that. But if you'll, if you'll learn to love him back and to stay close to him, I'm telling you, there's going to be pain. There's going to be battle. There's a war. But I'm telling you, it's going to be all right because you have the love of God surrounding you, a love that will never, ever leave you. 
Are we surprised that the Pharisee Paul, at the pinnacle of his theology in Ephesians, where he's talking about the story of God coming to get us in Jesus, says, this is what I'm praying, that the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ will help you root and ground in his love. We sing it this morning, we're just high and how high, how wide, how deep. Because if you're rooted and grounded in that love, everything else is second. If you're rooted and grounded in that love, you will be filled with all the fullness of God. Are we surprised? Look, we have been duped. This is everywhere. Jude is not like out on a limb. He's simply repeating apostolic testimony from the mouth of Jesus himself that comes all the way from the Torah. This is the essence of the story from beginning to end. My beloved sons and daughters, keep yourselves in When I was a young dad, you know, Andrew was our first. If we would have had Leanne first, I don't know if we would have had Andrea. I don't know. <laughs> and if, if Leanne's listening to this, she knows this. She knows. She, she was a pistol. But Andrea was the kind of baby that it was like, She'd be a baby in like a perfect Hallmark movie about babies. You know, that's just how she was. She'd wake up. She'd lean over that crib. You know how some kids, first of all, won't go to bed. That was Leanne. Never go to sleep. That was Leanne. When Andrea, she'd go right to sleep, sleep 12 hours. And, when she, and I hope this is how you have it, Raphael and Karina. I'm praying for you right now that this is the kind of baby you have first. But um, she would get up and she'd lean over that crib and she'd be smiling as if to say, I love you, mom and dad. You're the greatest. Come and get me. Let's start our day together. I will obey you because I know you love me. I mean, that's just how she was. She's the kid that when we drive by like a, a, a playground in that little community where we first pastored, they would have kids, you know, she used to watch these videos of, of, these Christians, it was called the salty tapes and the salty video. Any of you have seen those? I mean, they're, they're still around. They're, they're a little creepy, but, but, but there's some, a little, a little. When you see this big hymn book, he's the salter. And so he's a big hymn book with a face, you know. But um, they used to, you know, he used to start off, he'd come in with his little kids, uh, Melody, Rhythm, and Harmony were their names. And, and then he'd have all these other kids that weren't books, and, and he'd go, hey, kids, you know, just to welcome them in. And my daughter, Andrea, was the kind who'd be in her little car seat, and we'd be driving by, you know, a, a, you know some kids swinging on the swings, and she, she'd yell out spontaneously, hey, kids, as if to invite them to the gospel or something, you know. That was Andrea. What, what a kid. When I would come home, when I would come home from whatever I was doing as a young pastor, invariably, before I'd walk in the door, she would kind of um, feel that I was coming, or maybe I'd called Carla from the church phone and said, I'm on my way home, and she would know it, and she'd run up to the door, and when I'd walk in, she'd be like, Daddy's home. Because there was something inside of her that intuited that if she was near my love, she never doubted that I loved her. You can ask her that to this day. But if she was within the proximity of my love, so that it, she could be touched by that love, everything was going to be all right. That's what, that's what Jude's saying to us this morning. Before I land this plane, let me just say uh, one more thing, uh, maybe a question. Why does this need to be first? Because his love is the center of the universe. I tweeted this last week, and I've never shared a tweet with you that I've tweeted, so I hope this doesn't offend you. I'm not a big tweeter, but uh, I tweeted this Twitter on whatever. 
yeah. God desires worship. Now, I don't mean to offend, but please stay with me here. I've been hearing this from certain segments of Christianity, you know. It's, it's like this. Every time you hear the, what, what God wants because he is so big, he wants your worship. And it, it's hard to argue with that because he is great and we are, we're just sons and daughters. But this is, and I'll tell you why I tweeted this in just a moment. He desires worship, but first he desires love because he is love. He wants our worship to flow not out of I'm big and you're small. Worship me. Get it. Get how big I am and how puny you are. No. No. And how I have a big fist. And if you don't perform, I, no. He, yes, he desires worship. He's God. He deserves our worship. But first, he desires love because he is love. And this hit me because I was watching this show the other night on Netflix. And it's, 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 a, it's a drama about cops and robbers and such, and it's called River. I don't know if you've seen this. Um, I, I happen to like the actor. He's from Sweden, I believe. But, and so sometimes when I'm watching a show, Carla hates this because she wants me to be just locked into the show, but I like to Google the actors and find out who they are. Anybody else do that? You ever Google? Thank you very much. <laughs> Carla, oh, she's not here. But and, <laughs> Tell her to listen to the tape just for this. Um, but I understand. She wants me to be focused with her, and I get that. And so I, I usually don't. But sometimes I'll say, can I just Google this actor? And I Googled him. The actor, a guy named Mr. Skarsgård, I think is his name, he's an atheist. And he's, in fact, a part of a, a group of other entertainers and performers and other types who have a group around the tenets of atheism. And then he said... One of the main reasons why he's an atheist, he said, if there was a God, now hear this, and then think about the way the non-believing world perceives us. If there is a God who demands worship, then he's a God that I would not care to, nor should he deserve my worship. And I wondered, if I, if I was in a relationship with Mr. Skarsgård, I wonder if I could say, my brother, I feel you, man. In fact, I kind of... I kind of connect with that. But what if he desires worship, but first he wants you to know how much he loves you and he wants you just to respond to his love and then because he is love, because he wants to saturate you with that love, he'll receive your worship. He will call you to worship, but not without the love. I began to wonder how many non-believers don't see the church of Jesus Christ. I'm thinking, how many in four counties around here, you know, Macomb and Oakland and Washtenaw and, and Wayne, how many churches, when people see believers, they go, man, one, one thing I know is, man, those folk love, and they really believe. Can you believe it? They believe God loves them. I mean, loves them, and all they want to do is is be with his love and give that love away. That's all they want to do. I wonder how many people would be drawn to Christ. Instead, I think often they, they feel more of what Mr. Skarsgård feels, and that is that we have a God who is saying, get with the program or else. The reason that we that this love is so primary is because everything else flows from it. Love one another, Jesus said, as I have loved you. We skip that part. We think, my sense today is that the church is full of folk who are trying to love folk but don't know they're loved. And you know my story. That was me as a young pastor, 1990, and I burnt. I burnt out like a pan full of bad bacon. I burnt out and one night almost took my life because I didn't know enough Bible. I knew more Bible than most people will be able to know in a lifetime and all the original languages, but I did not know I was not keeping myself, myself in the love of God because I did not know there was any love there to keep myself in. 
And we all know the story of our beloved Dan, don't we? I haven't talked about it much since April, but you know, you know, you heard his testimony. You know what he was about. You know the story of when I met him at Macomb County Jail, and he was like, up yours, Pastor. And I didn't know what to do, and so I came around and just hugged him and kissed him and wept over him, and he went back into his cell and said, what happened to me? What happened to me? I've got to have more. It was the love. It wasn't the Bible. It wasn't text. It wasn't instruction. It was the love that began to break his wounded, messed up, jacked up heart. Pursued him through 10 years of prison. He trusted Christ, lived out the last eight years without one major ticket, came out and started making amends. And in fact, if you were here at Dan's Wake, you heard his daughter read letters before he trusted Christ and after the love changed him. And as long as he was keeping himself near the love of that God, man, he went out with me and with some of you and he shared his story. People were coming to Christ. It was an amazing thing. And then at the end, the end, his precious wife died of an overdose, and then Dan lost hope two weeks before he passed. I was with him at a restaurant down the road, Legends, and I said, Dan, are you using, and he, and he lied to me, because if we're using, we're not going to tell the truth 99.9% of the time until we, we get ready to really get clean. But then I said, are you suicidal? He said, no, but I've lost hope. He, he told me how he wondered where God had been when his precious Stacy died of an overdose. He wondered the love of God began to be like a mirage, like an illusion. And so he didn't know how to draw close. I've analyzed 47 times from Tuesday. What else could I have done? What could we have done? But those questions are no answers. But the fact is he, he drifted not from the love of God. God loved him all the way to the end till they found him and I believe it was an abandoned trailer uh, cold because of an overdose. They, the father loved him all the way through that and drew him to himself but my, my brother ended his life early, not intentionally, accidentally I believe but he ended his life early because he did not listen. Listen, 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 listen. It's because he wasn't keeping himself in the love of God. This is not, this is not like, like, well, that was an interesting sermon. Let me contemplate. This is it. This is it. Without this it, there's no other it's. This is plan A. There's nothing. Everything else is B, C, D, E. And this, will it be plan A tomorrow? Yes. Will it be plan A in two weeks? Yes. Was it plan A 3,000 years ago? Yes. It's always been the plan that we would know and live into and saturate ourselves in the love of a God who said, I've always loved you and I will never stop loving you all the way home. I want to say one more thing. I, I was going to have, I had some other thoughts, but as usual, I always think, man, I don't have much of a sermon today. And then it goes on and on and on. I don't know how that happens. So just one of the participles. Um, this would be number three if you want to put it up there. Um, and just keep that there. Don't share anything else. Okay, girl. Thank you. Thanks, Megan. If my exegesis is correct, these three participles are one of the ways, three of the ways that we can keep ourselves in love of God because you're walking out here today, you might be saying, okay, 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 you have, I'm in, but how? So what about just the first one? By building ourselves up on our most holy faith. Now this is not... It could be very easy to translate that. If you're into just memorizing more scripture, it could be, I just have to know more word. I have to have the right Bible verse. I have to get into a Bible memory program. I have to make sure I have two more Bible studies in my life. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think most of us know, not all of us, but many of us know enough verses, quite frankly. The question is how to take, building ourselves up on the, our most holy faith is to take what we say we believe about God and us in the world and taking it out of here and getting it into here so we can literally say what I'm standing on today is this truth 
that I have started to believe and growing to believe. The enemy tries to knock me off my square, but I think it is true. Building ourselves up on our holy faith. To take verses like, you are my beloved, and to somehow... Um, take them into your heart to the point that you can say, with everything swirling around me, with all the drama, with all the mess and all the pain, I'm standing on this. I am a beloved son. I am a beloved daughter of God. That's what Jude is talking about. That's how first we build ourselves up on our holy faith, which implies that there may be work to do to heal from Anything, any of the lies that the enemy has put in us, childhood on, that would keep us from hearing, for example, the fact that we're his beloved and building our lives upon it. So there's like a twofold call here that's implied. Know the truth and be about healing from any of the lies that keep us from standing on the truth. Would you indulge me one last read from this book? A few years ago, I, that would be me, asked 13 young men, it was actually 2009, if they had any interest in hanging out with some other brothers on a regular basis. I told them I thought most men were stuck living as, quote, emotionally immature little boys in grown men's bodies. Unquote. And that our infantile attitudes and behavior patterns and baggage were hurting and sometimes destroying those closest to us and keeping us from partnering with Jesus Christ to bring healing and the love of God to others. I invited them to the intense healing process of revealing the secrets and hidden mess that has kept us from living as full grown sons of the Father. I invited them to work through what it means to build themselves up on their most holy faith. I promised that if we committed to walk out that kind of intimacy together, God would meet us there in that frightening but freeing honesty. Twelve of the 13 men didn't just say yes, but heck yes, and when do we start? On just our second evening together, we opened the New Testament to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 for a piece of that most holy faith. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Then I asked the men to talk honestly about their relationships with their earthly fathers. And how that earthly dad relationship impacted their ability to receive the truth of Ephesians 1.3 about how their heavenly father has loved them and blessed them. Silence. Followed by more silence. Then slowly the young man began to tell their stories. My father never opened his heart to me about anything. He was emotionally shut down and distant, so it's really hard to believe there's a God who wants to connect with me as a heavenly father. My dad left our family when I was young and has never taken an interest in me, but he's known for betting plenty of women, all the while preaching at his church each Sunday. God is father? Wow. My dad was a missionary. He was all about saving the lost and loved it when I helped. He never really seemed all that interested in me. Does God really want me or just a soldier for his cause? My main memory of my dad is a stern look and correcting voice. I had done it wrong again. Dad wasn't a bad guy. He just didn't know, how much, know much about grace and love or affection or how to say, I just love you, son. And now it's hard to believe God wants those things for me. It's hard for me to stand on my most holy faith until I heal from these old images about being unloved. 
Finally, I never knew my dad. He left before I could know him, and now he's dead. Having a dad, earthly or heavenly, I'm not certain what that's supposed to be like, but I'd sure like to know. Every man shared. Every man but one cried. That night, those 12 brothers began their journey home to a father who couldn't wait to receive them. They took a step toward keeping themselves in the love of God. That same loving father who, by the way, anxiously waits for you. My father, would you help us, even as we sing our way out of here this morning, would you help us to know, to begin to know, to begin to trust, to begin to heal from old images? Would you help us to think about 2017 as a season in which Above all things, we're going to ask you to help us keep ourselves in your love. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. And so for 2017, this is the first and maybe the most primary piece of vision that I'd like to cast for you. And it looks something like this. Sorry, I uh, made her think that there it is. No, here it comes. It's coming. It's, there it is. How are we keeping ourselves in the love of God? So before we sing this final song, would you be uh, so bold as to share with someone around you one thing that encouraged you this morning, one thing that touched you, one thing that might have... Um, begun to move you uh, toward a deeper place in the arms of your father who loves you so very much. And I know this could be an awkward time, but can I tell you, I think you know this about us here. We've had many people that say, if you make me turn to somebody, I'm never coming back. Well, sorry, because we just don't believe that it's always supposed to be about what's up front. We believe we're here to be together. So would you take a risk and turn to someone? And if you just say, I can't share, maybe you'll just listen to somebody else share. How's that? All right. Would you do that for a moment? And then we'll sing our way home. Have at it.